Agriculture lands are ideal for solar development. They're already cleared, they're flat, they're wide open spaces that are really conducive to solar development. Um, so that means that ag producers have an incredible opportunity to become a part of this solar development movement. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Voices from the Field. I'm NCAT Communications Director, Emily Ritter Saunders, based here in Montana, and have the pleasure of welcoming NCAT Energy Programs Director, Stacy Peterson, to the show. In addition to managing NCAT's portfolio of sustainable energy projects, Stacy and a small but mighty team here at NCAT have just launched America's first agri-solar clearinghouse. So Stacy, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So we'll just launch, launch right in. And it's stunning for me to learn that in less than a decade, solar installations are expected to cover more than 3 million acres of the United States. So I want to know, what does this mean for farmers, for ranchers, and for solar energy production? This means there's a tremendous opportunity for dual use. Agriculture lands are ideal for solar development. They're already cleared, they're flat, they're wide open spaces that are really conducive to solar development. Um, So that means that ag producers have an incredible opportunity to become a part of this solar development movement. Um, You can look for diversification of funding for these from groups like um, the USDA REAP program, there's tax incentives, there's also some utility incentives around the country, and then there's the energy savings itself, which some folks look at as a crop. Then there are community solar cooperatives they can join. And solar developers can be looking for greater rural acceptance if they keep it in the traditional cultural landscape of an egg production. There's also lower maintenance costs. There's less need for dust suppression. Um, There's habitat preservation and increased ecosystem services. And there's a lot of uh, cost savings in reduced site preparation. Can we talk a little bit about what this actually looks like and what does it mean to have a solar array sitting on or adjacent to farmland? How do those two things work? Okay, well, there's a couple ways that this can be done. There are folks that are promoting dual use of the land, which is when the solar panels are directly above a crop or above grazing animals. Um, Sheep are especially um, suited to this. There's some folks that are doing chickens. There's rabbit productions. There's some hog facilities that are doing this as well. Um, And then there's some folks that are doing it adjacent to their ag operation, like a dairy or a hog barn, and they're using it to power those systems. Um, So I look at it as agri-solar from a landscape perspective, whereas anything within the agricultural landscape, some folks are a little bit more of a purist where they want the the land being completely co-located. So um, in the agri-solar clearinghouse, we're covering both. We're covering whether it's a dual-used land or whether it's agri-solar within the landscape of the agricultural operation. One of the things that this country isn't getting more of is land particularly wide open spaces suitable for agri-solar development. So knowing that, why do you think this idea of co-locating appropriate farmland and solar is only just now starting to gain momentum? I think that there's been a lot of research in the last five years by groups like the American Solar Grazing Association and the NREL Inspire Project, and then universities like Cal Poly and University of Arizona. And these folks have really blazed the trail and brought us a lot of data. And so we can understand what does it cost? What are the best practices? So there's been some research and then there's some examples folks can go see. And there's been a lot of work in this internationally. So I think folks are getting more comfortable with it. 
And then there's groups like the American Farmland Trust that are looking at, hey, what's more appropriate farmlands to use for co-location, maybe not the prime farmlands, but buffer lands or roadways or water canals. So I think that there's kind of a crescendo of people that are in this space that, that are now coming together. And that along with the fact that there's so much solar development going on, that there's a lot of folks thinking about how to do this well. And, and NCAT's not working alone in this space. You just listed a lot of different research organizations and universities, for example, and the AgriSolar Clearinghouse, which we just launched, boasts more than 30 well-respected and diverse professional partners and stakeholders who are helping to guide us here at NCAT and also help develop resources to support agrisolar development. Will you say a little bit about those partners and stakeholder, stakeholders who are involved and really why they're so important to this project? You bet. So we have an amazing partner group. Uh, we have the leading researchers in agrivoltaics in the whole country in our partner group. We've got the national labs like NREL and Argonne and Oak Ridge. We have groups like the Smithsonian, the Center for Rural Affairs. And then we have leading researchers from universities like Cal Poly, George Washington University and the University of Arizona. We have solar and pollinator advocates like Ridge to Reef, Renewable Northwest and Solar Grown. And then we have an amazing stakeholder group as well. And this has groups like the American Farmland Trust, American Solar Grazing Association, the Pollinator Partnership, Bee and Butterfly Habitat Fund, American Clean Power. And then we have researchers. So we have good cutting edge information on this from groups or from people like Alexis Piscaris, Emma Camferbeek, and Lucy Stolzenberg. What do you really see the role of the partners here and, and how will they help shape what the AgriSolar Clearinghouse really becomes. So one of the main reasons that we have the Clearinghouse is to serve as a trusted practical connector in this space. And these partners and stakeholders are the main players in this throughout the country and internationally. So we're able to connect with these people and we're able to connect people that are interested with our partners to get this trusted information. We're able to help people through technical assistance um, either through our NCAT energy and agriculture specialists or through our partners. Whenever they want, they can text us, they can chat us, they can send us emails, and we'll line them up with the best person for that from our partner group or from our NCAT staff. I like one of the words you just used, which is practical. So I'm wondering, you know, when you've got cutting edge research that might just feel really thick and daunting, how do we turn around and make that? practical for somebody to apply it to their family farm. We're going to be creating a series of resources. So we'll have a podcast like this one that's specific to AgriSolar. We'll also have a forum where folks can talk this out, you know, say you want to start growing tomatoes underneath your solar panels and you want to know if that's appropriate for your area. We can talk with you about that, see what kind of zone you're in, what kind of water needs you might have. So we're hoping to really translate all of that through our forum and through our technical assistance. And then we're hoping to learn what people want and create publications and resources based on that. In addition to some of the things you just mentioned, I mean, really describe for me and, and our listeners here, what does the AgriSolar Clearinghouse do that other organizations or other resources may not have tapped into just yet? I think we're a one-stop shop for agrisolar information. We've got a huge library, an information resource gallery, we call it, and it has peer-reviewed information there that's freely available for download. Our media is all freely available also for download. 
We have a forum that you can connect with. So we've curated a community of our partners and stakeholders, and then we want other folks to join in. And then we also offer the technical assistance. So we're there for chat, email, phone calls, eight to five Monday through Friday. So we'll be able to offer all of this for free to anybody that, that needs assistance. And I think that really sets us apart. Absolutely. I'd be curious to know what sort of calls or questions or emails you've already started to see coming in. Can you give us just a sense of some of the things that you all are already being asked about? We've had a lot of enthusiasm. I, I've got, I think, over 100 signups just for our group so far. Um, folks are asking a lot of questions around um, who is doing this in my area? Where can I, when or can I talk to people? What kind of events are coming up? We also have an events page. Um, and then they're asking, um, how can we promote ourselves? We're, we're hearing a lot of, I've got a great idea. Uh, how can I connect with researchers to get this out there? How can I have my materials looked at so I know that I've got a good scientific um, product here? And that's perfect for our forum. Uh, we've had several questions from international folks, so we're, we're getting attention internationally as well. Uh, and then it seems like solar grazing is really, solar grazing and solar pollinators are really important to people. Um, and people are very interested in, in the efforts in pollinators, especially with saving the bees. So NCAT's brand new agri-solar clearinghouse is funded through a three-year cooperative agreement with the U.S. Department of Energy Solar Energy Technologies Office. I'm curious what that process was like or you know, why you were interested in the first place in going after this award and really, you know, the original vision for the AgriSolar Clearinghouse. The original vision for the Clearinghouse came out of us at NCAT wanting to work between our two programs. We have a sustainable energy and a sustainable agriculture program. And as the energy program director, I'm very interested in what's going on in agriculture and how we can work together. And my background is in interdisciplinary studies. So that's just kind of what I like to do. So that, that was the original reason for it. We saw the announcement and then pulled the energy and ag team together. And we thought, what, what can we do best here to help people? Because that's really what we like to do at NCAT. And we thought the biggest help that we could give was to, to do the clearinghouse model like we do with our LIHEAP work and really with our ATRA work as well, where we present as much trusted information as possible, and then we create best practices and we connect partners and stakeholders. So that was our thought and our vision. Uh, we applied for it and we went through a, a pretty long interview process and um, contract process. And we're just really excited that it's all finally coming to fruition. I wonder if you can say a little bit more, Stacey, about ecosystems, pollinator habitat, grazing. You know, how can solar panels save the bees? Talking about pollinators, there's a lot of ways that you can increase pollinators and ecosystem services around solar panels. You can plant pollinators um, just directly underneath the panels or around your solar panel lands. Um, you can increase them throughout your agricultural landscape. And then you can also, you can install an apiary. You can install beekeeping operations um, near or adjacent to your site. That's occurring in places in Oregon and around the country. There's solar grown honey that you can purchase. There's solar grown honey used for beer, which is always a fun way to support the bees. Uh, so th there's a lot of ways to increase pollinator habitat beyond bees. You know, you can be looking at birds, hummingbirds. Um, there's many types of pollinators, but 
that, that's an excellent space um, to increase ecosystem services. Um, grazing as well. Um, grazing makes a lot of sense under and around solar panels. The solar developers then do not have to go through and mow as regularly. They can lease the land to solar grazers. Um, this is a great, great dual use. Um, and then they, they can improve the soil health. And, and that's another great opportunity for people with their ecosystem services. I wonder if we're going to start seeing more and more things labeled solar grown, if that's going to become sort of a, a new marketing niche here. I do think that it will. Yes, I, I think that that's out there and I'm excited to see what comes of it. I think there'll probably need to be some standards. I think that there could be a cooperative that comes out of this, but I, I do think that that's a great space. One of our partners, um, Rob Davis, is particularly working in that space. So we know that agri-solar can create a, a big opportunity to pair solar and ag land, as you mentioned, to conserve ecosystems, create renewable energy, increasing the pollinator habitat, um, and, and really to maximize farm revenue. Are there downsides? What, what is not really known about co-locating egg and solar or you know, are there sort of common misconceptions out there that the AgroSolar Clearinghouse is really working to sort of correct, correct the record or um, give people the right information to move forward with a project? You know, I think there's a lot of difference in scale. I, I think that what might work in a small scale or a medium scale even might not work in a large scale. So it could be that it's far too expensive at a large scale, but it works at a medium scale maybe having really high panels, you know, 10 foot panels might not be economically feasible um, on a large scale, but it works just fine in a, in a small to medium scale. I think folks need to watch their insurance. That's another issue. So I, I think each site's going to be site specific. You're going to need to go through and look at what works best for your, your farm, your ranch, your land. And that's where I'm hopeful that we can help with technical assistance and that we can connect you with people that could help you plan the right crop if that's what you want to do on your facility. Maybe your facility is a lot more conducive to grazing or to an apiary. So I, I think there's a lot of considerations, but I think scaling up is, is going to be, you're going to really need to think that through. It kind of leads me into the next question that I, I had here was just to understand really is solar the right answer? for farmers and ranchers everywhere? Or have you sort of thought through a standard set of considerations that land managers might wanna keep in mind before they start going down the path of agrosolar? Each site is going to be different. So you're going to need to look at your site and understand what works well. What size array might you want? What would work for you? What kind of budget do you have? What tax incentives are there? What will this do to your insurance? Um, what type of agrosolar site are you looking at? Um, will grazing work better? Could you do grazing and pollinator? Could you also have an apiary? Maybe some specialty crops. Specialty crops that would be handpicked probably would work best. Um, you'd need to look at you know, what grows best in your area, what's a good shade tolerant plant. So there's a lot of considerations um, that I, I think everybody needs to think through if, before they do this, just like you would with any type of development. And is the AgroSolar Clearinghouse really a place where folks can go to help learn those things or, or start to get the resources they need to understand if their farm or ranch is a good fit? Yes, we have a, a wealth of information for anybody that wants to know. Uh, they can find different research on these different practices, but they can also connect with us 
and we can talk with them and we can connect them with our sustainable energy and ag experts at NCAT, or we can connect them with our partners and stakeholders. And then we're also developing a peer-to-peer network so that we can connect folks that are just starting this, that are new to it. They could be a mentee and we'll connect them with a mentor facility. So we have a, a group of folks that are willing to mentor new sites. And so we'll step back once we make that connection for folks, but that's another way that people can learn beyond talking with us and joining our forum. My perception in, in learning about AgriSolar is that it seems like a difficult task to try to navigate all of the different pieces of trying to develop an AgriSolar operation, an energy company, energy credits, buying and selling. How does the AgriSolar Clearinghouse aim to make solar, you know, more accessible, sort of less daunting, if you will? You know, it, it is daunting. I, I agree. And I, I think the, what we're going to try to do is offer as many resources as possible. You know, here we have a guides for how to go solar, how to do community solar, where you can find information for incentives. We'll be creating a financial piece of the website so folks can look for funding, um, different grants that are available. Um, We'll we'll do anything we can to make that information available to folks. And then we have a few partners that specialize in this. They're uh, experts in solar development, so we can connect folks with those partners for technical assistance. I, I think that's probably one of the best ways to navigate it. It's so specific to each area. Each state has a different set of tax incentives. Some might not even have tax incentives, but that would that would be good to know for folks. So I think we'll just try to walk them through the best we can and give them all the information we have and make the best connections we can for them. It seems like there are different policy considerations in every state, city, county even, on you know restrictions that might exist with certain types of farmland or land use issues. And I'm curious if there's sort of a concerted effort to relook at some of those policies or if that's really a, a town by town, case by case kind of uh, effort right now. So there's a lot of work going on in the policy space right now. It isn't necessarily something that we're doing within the AgriSolar Clearinghouse. It's something we're aware of. And we include any policies that we can find in in our clearinghouse within our information resources. I think for each site, you'd have to look and see what is going on in your state. A lot of these seem state specific to me. I don't see a lot of national policy. I don't really expect to. Um, Locally, I I think it's probably going to stem from your state. So I, I would say talk to your state folks first and see what kind of policies there are out there. It's been interesting um, to me, Stacey, as we've been getting ready to launch the AgriSolar Clearinghouse, and it seems like AgriSolar, AgriVoltaics is really picking up momentum in traditional media. Um, There's been a lot of news coverage of AgriSolar in the last couple of months, Um, and NPR recently aired a story about AgriSolar and interviewed one of the key partners for our project, um, Greg Baron Gafford. And and in that story, they explain that some of Baron Gafford's research shows that when farmland and solar panels are paired, and he did this research in Arizona, the crops growing underneath require half as much water. And I'm thinking particularly in the West, that's a big deal. It really is. This is is great research that he's doing. And some other folks um, beyond his work that he's doing uh, down at University of Arizona, 
he's also working with the NREL and the Inspire group and in, in they're researching this. And this has huge implications in drought areas. So, you know, in California and Texas, Arizona, all throughout the West, we've, we've had an incredible drought. And so I, th this is a, this is excellent research. And I, I think that that's part of the reason that it, it's being picked up in the media. Um, th this is such a great answer for a lot of people. And I think as we move forward with this, this is a nice bipartisan issue for folks to talk about. This is a great solution and this is a great way that we can all work together. I'm curious too, in that same story, there was, there was talk of, you know, really agri-solar as infrastructure. I do think it will be a big part of the infrastructure as we build out. And I, I think and a great opportunity in rural areas is that it increases the resiliency of those areas. You see what happened last year in Texas with their grid. You know, in rural places, often we're the first to go down and we're the last to come back up. And if you have a place like one of when my place has a water pump and when the power goes out, we can't even flush the toilet. So if you have a more localized grid, if you're getting your energy from a solar source, you have a much greater ability to bounce back. Um, this is a much more resilient grid to work with. And, and a lot of folks are going off grid completely with this. So, and also in fire ravaged areas, I think there's, there's a lot of reason that this makes sense um, beyond just rural areas. I think anywhere that's gonna have an impact from a natural disaster, which is you know a, a lot of the country. So I, I think it's a key piece of our infrastructure. And everything that you just said really gets back to NCAT's mission, right? NCAT's been doing this work for more than 45 years and really looking for those locally grown solutions. I'm curious why you think, you know, this particular project in AgriSolar is such a good fit or why NCAT is the right fit to run this kind of project. For the reason you just said, we, we've been in this space, we've been working in sustainable energy and sustainable ag for over 45 years. We have our ATRA program and we have such a great outreach to farmers and ranchers there. You know, we have the work that we do in soil for water, the work we do in arm to farm. We have this great network of sustainable ag. And then on our energy side, we have work we do like the LIHEAP Clearinghouse, the Low Income Energy Assistance Program and our energy engineering work that we do in energy services. So we've been in this space for a long time and now we have a wonderful opportunity to serve as a connector in this space, because we do know a lot of the people in this space. One of the best things that we do that I see is, is that we make these connections happen and we help people go on and do their own research and do their own projects. And we step back once it happens and we make sure that that facilitation has happened in a good way that works for people. And we know how to present that information in a trusted practical way. And I think that works for everybody. So I, I think we're ideally suited for this. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, don't, don't take it from us, right? Take it from the yeah. farmer down the road who's already doing it. Exactly. Yeah. I, there's nothing better than seeing somebody else doing it. I, I don't know that folks want a lot of ivory tower research. I think that they really want to see what happens. We're going to lead a lot of field trips. We're hoping to do at least 10 a year, probably more. We'll try to do them in groupings around our, our regional offices. Um, and we're really hoping that anybody that wants to come can come to these field trips and, and really see what this is on the ground. And we'll videotape these and make them available on the website for folks that aren't available. But I, yeah, I think there's nothing better than actually seeing it in action and talking to somebody else that's done it, that's actually put their capital on the line and their farm on the line to do this. Thank you, Stacey. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Voices from the Field. 
It's agrisolarclearinghouse.org. Uh, you can join to get any kind of updates if you would like. And then we have a forum. I think that's a great area where people are going to be able to create a community. And I look forward to meeting all sorts of new folks across the country. And I look forward to meeting people on the field trips. Thanks. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Additional information about this episode and related resources can be found at atra.incat.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Voices from the Field wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rich Myers. ATRA, Voices from the Field, is produced by the National Center for Appropriate Technology, headquartered in Butte, Montana. It's supported by the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service as part of NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the USDA or NCAT. We'll catch you again next week, and until then, keep on farming.